When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today we are talking Chargers with Arjun Menon. He is uh, a data analyst over at PFF. He also works for the uh, Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, man. I'm really excited to talk about this. Yeah, I know. It's super exciting. You know, I love doing these like podcast um, crossovers and, you know, obviously this is a big game, at least for the Chargers. I know the Broncos still have a slim chance of making the playoffs, but, you know, there there are a little bit um, of playoff implications on the line here. So, yeah, very, very important uh, game for both of us. And, yeah, I'm excited to get into this. And when you say remote, I want to I want to clarify this for listeners, just because there has been a little bit of talk in like Broncos country about how the Broncos have a chance. And you're being kind, I, and I know you are, and I appreciate it. The Broncos' playoff chances, guys, I've, I've looked at basically, I've looked at PFF's numbers, I've looked at Football Outsiders' numbers, and I've looked at 538's numbers, because all three of them kind of use different models, but they're all objective. The Broncos have something like a 1% chance at the playoffs at this point. The Chargers actually have a chance at the playoffs. Realistically, the Broncos in this game are probably trying to play spoilers more than anything. Uh, the other big thing at stake in this game is the fact that if the Broncos lose both of these next two games, they'll have a losing record for the fifth consecutive season. Uh, it would be the worst uh, stretch of losing seasons since the Broncos 17 run, year run of like incompetence at the beginning of the their the franchise. Uh, and then also if Fangio loses one of these next two games, uh, he will actually 
end up with the most losses to start a head coaching career in Broncos history. So for him, like that's at stake. Uh, he probably wants to win. Um, and then last thing, uh, and I, I did a poor job of this, Harjun. I apologize. If you guys do not already follow him on Twitter, go do it. He is at Arjun Menon 100, uh, A-R-J-U-N-M-E-N-O-N 100. Uh, go do that and then come right back because we're talking football. Uh, the first thing I kind of want to touch on, and I think this is kind of important to note, COVID is, it was a huge thing of last week and it's still lingering kind of over this game, especially now, like, again, we're recording on Wednesday guys, but the chargers were missing 14 players against the Texans. That's kind of like the sneaky reason why they struggled and why the Texans beat them, I think, uh, or a big part of it. Uh, yes, the Texans also had a bunch of people on the COVID list, but that kind of works as like a great equalizer in a way, just because like all of a sudden everybody's using practice squad players. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of like the other part of that is it's going to be the big, kind of a big question over the rest of this week, as we're recording on Wednesday, uh, the chargers did just get a couple players back off the COVID list. Uh, Joey Bosa, Jalen Guyton, Cayman Hall, Coy Lindsley and Trey Marshall, Bosa and Lindsley are both huge. Uh, Bosa obviously is the chargers pass rush. Like basically, uh, I like Nuosu. He's been, been playing better lately. Uh, I've kind of kept up with him throughout his career just because I studied him for scouting Academy. So he's a guy I like, <laughs> uh, but really Bose is kind of the straw that stirs the drink uh, as far as the passers goes. And then obviously Lindsley is the starting center and the chargers offensive line. I want to say they're a little bit better now, especially now that they're, that they're healthy uh, than they were in week 12. Uh, but obviously having your starting center is a huge deal. Broncos country can probably appreciate that after what happened last week with Austin Slotman playing for Lloyd Cushenberry. Where are you landing? Do you know of anybody else that may be coming back? Or is it kind of just open up in the air? I know the Broncos have Tim Patrick going on the list now. Um, that's a pretty big deal just because they're down to Colton Sutton, Jerry Judy, and then kind of unproven guys at receiver. Uh, and then Drew Locke is going to be playing again just because Teddy Bridgewater is still in concussion protocol, which is a huge deal. Yeah, um... So I think Staley mentioned that anyone who went on the COVID list or who, who's gone on the COVID list before Wednesday will have a chance to play. Um, you know, the NFL also released the new COVID protocols. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say if I'm a fan or not, because it is you know, kind of controversial that it's like the players are self-reporting their symptoms. Um, but I, I do think, you know, you mentioned Corey Lindsley and Joey Bosa. Those are the two guys that I was like, okay, we really need to get them off the COVID list. You know, our, like we had three pressures against the Texans offensive line that were playing three backup full linemen without Joey Bosa. Um, and, you know, like you said, Uchenna Nwosu has been playing better. Um, a fellow, my fellow analyst at PFF, Brad Spielberger, he actually put a tweet out that said, since week eight, Uchenna Nwosu is, has had the highest uh, PFF grade among all free agent edge rushers. So in a contract year, he has been, you know, coming on well down the stretch, but yeah, I mean, the COVID situation is super fluid right now. Um, you know, getting Oster, Austin Eckler back obviously helps also. And, you know, we'll, I'm sure we're going to get into like his impact against, you know, your, your Broncos defense, which the linebacking room isn't that great. Yeah. Um, but there are a couple of guys I'll talk about, or I'll just mention right now that I think we really need to get off. Uh, Michael Davis, our, I would say our number one cover corner, Chris Harris Jr., our top slot corner, and then Mike Williams. I mean, Mike Williams in a contract year getting COVID to end the year where he potentially might not go over a thousand yards. 
you know, that's a big deal, not only to the team, but for him as a player. And, you know, we, we have a decent wide receiver room. I wouldn't say it's anything too special without Mike Williams, even with Mike Williams, it's like, you know, I would say it's maybe borderline top 10, but going against a, a top secondary that the Broncos have, you need all the weapons you can get. And we recently lost one of our uh, best receiving weapons in Donald Parham to that scary head injury. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and Jared Cook has not been playing well as a tight end, you know, too many lapses, but I think Mike Williams, Chris Harris Jr. and Michael Davis, if and Nasir Adderley, I should have mentioned him also, our starting free safety. If we get those four guys back, I think, you know, that's good enough. But like I said, everything's super fluid. And we had a bunch of guys go on the COVID list, you know, even this week starting on Monday. Yep. And that's kind of the thing to watch in Broncos country too, just because the Broncos up till now have been pretty lucky. Uh, Cushion yeah. landed on it last week. And again, that was devastating. It really was. Uh, but losing Tim Patrick and losing... Uh, the other guys to the Kovalis, uh Calvin Anderson and Kane Stearns. Uh, first of all, obviously, you know, I know you agree with me. We hope, you know, we hope they're okay. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but the 100%. big part of it is too, is like a lot of times when guys are starting to get COVID, they were in rooms with other guys. Like there, there is a chance mm-hmm. that this could end up, you know, continuing. So hopefully it doesn't. Um, I hope, you know, honestly, I would rather the chargers get healthy Broncos stay kind of where they're at and we get a, a decent game. Uh, and, and you mentioned Mike Williams, and I think that's a good place to start is the Chargers offense against the Broncos defense. If Mike Williams isn't in this game, it really helps the Broncos. Uh, just in the fact that Keenan Allen is dangerous. He's a very good route runner. But the rest of the receiving depth chart is pretty wanting. Um, just in, cur- yeah. in terms of it's kind of callow. There's not a lot of experience. Uh, I like Josh Palmer. I think he's shown a little bit. Uh, it's early, obviously, but I do like what I've seen from him. But the other big thing is... Williams is kind of because you guys the the one thing I think the receiving core for the Chargers kind of lacks is they're not like a game breaking speed guy, uh, and and in the absence of that, it kind of puts a lot of pressure on Herbert to be able to find Williams downfield for chunk plays, and he's able to make those because he's he's six foot five, he's a monster, yeah. um, and without him on the field, that puts a lot of pressure on Herbert to kind of be really 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 accurate. Oh yeah, I completely agree, and I, I do agree about the the whole game breaking speed type player. That was the role we, you know, as Charger fans envisioned for Jalen Guyton, yeah. who had like a bunch of fifty yard touchdown catches last year. But Joe Lombardi, because he's running the Saints offense, like the Saints offense has never really utilized a downfield threat. I guess like Brandon Cooks was really the only guy. So they've been making Jalen Guyton play more of a horizontal um, receiver type route tree instead of a vertical route tree that he was using under Anthony Lynn and Shane Sykin last year. So it, it has been kind of, you know, it, I'm not going to say frustrating, but it has been a little bit um, surprising to say the least to see how Guyton is being used compared to last year. Williams is being used more as a horizontal guy. Pretty much everyone's a horizontal guy in this offense because they're not really attacking the field vertically because defenses like the Broncos um, and, you know, the Raiders are playing the Chargers super deep they're not allowing any deep balls that a lot uh, because of you know herbert's arm so i am curious to see you know if mike williams is able to play or not um and if he doesn't i i do see us struggling to pass the ball against a broncos defense that has been playing well and you know i i was doing some research on this yesterday the broncos have caused the chargers to have their second worst offensive performance of the year 
So the Ravens were number number one. The Broncos forced the Chargers to have a almost 24th percentile performance um, when they played, you know, in Denver. But, you know, I don't know if that was, you know, obviously the defense had its impact, but the weather, the altitude, all that. Now we're playing in L.A. at home. A little more to play for. And, you know, I'm sure Staley probably lit a fire under every every player's ass after that, you know, loss to the Texans. Definitely. And the other part of this, too, I want to say you said that we all have to get together and basically donate to get Matt Filer back on the field. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. because in the in the first game, uh, Senior Kelamete, the Broncos just abused him. Like, and, and again, yeah. I I don't want to you know single him out and badmouth him, but the Broncos, Draymond Jones especially, but the Broncos had some success with him running a couple games at him. That kind of pressure just kind of added up, and Herbert was never really able to get comfortable in the pocket. And I think because of that, it really prevented him from being able to go downfield. And I think it led to one of the picks. It was it was a major factor in the interception. Uh, the other part of this is, and as you mentioned, the Broncos will probably play a lot of too high. Uh, they ran an incredible amount of uh, cover six last time around. Uh, yeah. don't run a lot of cover three. They ran less than normal, uh, less than they normally do. And then the Broncos actually last time around, they ran quite a bit of cover one. I expect that to continue, uh, just because the Broncos are healthy in the secondary. Uh, the one thing that I'm curious to see how it changes is last time around, because of the issues with the Chargers offensive line, the Broncos were able to get pressure without sending a ton of uh, heat. But over the course of the season, the Broncos, and you mentioned it, since Von Miller was traded, the Broncos pass rush has basically evaporated. Uh, they are very, very dependent on the blitz uh, or stunts. Uh, Draymond Jones is pretty much the one guy kind of consistently getting some sort of pressure without help. Mm -hmm. And that's, Kind of a huge concern for me, just because if Herbert gets comfortable, this game could turn into a shootout. Yeah, so, so uh, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, I, I'll mention that like Herbert last year, the whole thing was like he's going to regress because he was way too good under pressure. He has regressed and like that's expected, but he's gotten way, way better from a clean pocket, which not a lot of people like people don't realize like, okay, because he was so good under pressure, like they thought he was going to get worse as a quarterback, his, you know, EPA per play, his passing grade from a clean pocket has gotten so much better than what it was last year. So I agree. If the Broncos don't find a way to get pressure, I do think Herbert, especially if he has most, if not all of his weapons um, at his disposal, will find a way to carve up that Broncos secondary. But, you know, we have, we do have some issues. Like the left side of our offensive line arguably could be one of the best, sides of an offensive line in the NFL. Great. But then you have Michael Schofield who allowed five pressures um, against the Broncos the last time he played. And now both of our tackles are on the COVID list and we have no, they went on either yesterday or today morning. So we don't know if they're going to play. So right now there's not a lot of good options. So either, and you know, I, it pains me, believe me to say this, we potentially could be starting Senio Kelamete again at guard or tackle. And, you know, I obviously I, I wouldn't want that. There are a couple other options. You know, Michael Schofield does have guard tackle flexibility. We could kick him out and bring our fifth round rookie uh, guard slash tackle Brandon Hymas in. Um, but, yeah, it's not the right side of our offensive line is definitely one to watch out for. Um, and I, I think I was reading somewhere and uh, like you mentioned, Draymond Jones uh, suffered an injury and he hasn't he didn't play that well against the Raiders no. who have one of the weakest interiors in the NFL. 
Um, so I'm, I'm, I am curious to see how that goes. You guys didn't even have Shelby Harris last time though, and still ate us alive. Mm -hmm. So I think the key to the Broncos defense shutting down Herbert will be getting, um, a lot of pressure on him and, you know, forcing him to be, or being a little more disruptive early in the game, like they were. And I think it's a great point that you brought up the cover six stuff. Like Herbert to me, when I've watched him back on the all 22 and even like live, he just struggles when, when defensive defenses present a disguised look pre-snap. And mm -hmm. that's something Vic Fangio has done very well as a coach in the course of his coaching career. So, and you know, like cover six is not an easily dis like easily diagnosable coverage because it's quarter, quarter, half. Like, you, I don't know, like I've never played football. Like I'm, <laughs> I'll be honest, but like it, that just seems like a tough coverage to diagnose outside of like, if you're diagnosing cover three or diagnosing cover one. So I do think Fangio is going to keep up with that. Um, and, you know, I, I'm assuming your secondary is almost fully healthy. So he will, I believe he should have, you know, he should have the freedom to call any coverage he wants um, in a, you know, in a game like this. The, the big question in the secondary right now is Kareem Jackson, who he was uh, limited in practice. Actually, he missed practice today. Uh, and again, this is Wednesday did play against the Raiders. So there is a chance. It's just a veteran rest day. Uh, he is 33. Uh, but the big question is if he can't play because Caden Stearns is in the COVID list on the COVID list, the Broncos might be down to either PJ Locke or Jamar Johnson. That could be big. Um, but it's something we're going to have to watch. But other than that, yeah, they're fully healthy in the secondary. Um, and I agree with you. I think cover six is one of the sneakier coverages to run especially out of like the way uh, Fangio runs his shells, just because when the Broncos run a lot of cover three, what they're doing a lot of, they'll run cover three buzz and then they'll run uh, three week. But when they mix buzz, cover three buzz looks very similar to cover six until it's too late. Uh, so for yeah. a quarterback, especially if the, if the Chargers are trying to dial up any sort of play action, Herbert will have his back to the defense, turn around, and then all of a sudden it's like, surprise, and you're kind of seeing whatever <laughs> happens. Um, but you mentioned before, you mentioned Eckler is looking like he's returned. Uh, that's going, that's another one of those really big matchups. that I think people aren't giving enough credit to right now, just because yes, Justin Justin Jackson had a good game against the Texans, but he also had a critical fumble. And the other yeah. big part of it is, is, and again, I've been a fan of his for a while. Um, so, you know, not to surprise you, but I actually am a fan of a few different chargers. Uh, but he's not as good in pass protection is really the big drop off to me. And that's kind of like if the Broncos game plan is built around trying to heat up Herbert, having Eckler back is going to be an impediment to that plan just because Eckler is really good in pass pro, even though he's undersized. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to, that's going to be necessary, especially like if, if the right side of our offensive line isn't going to be available or at least right tackle. And we have some moving pieces going to need Eckler going to need our tight ends to chip on passing plays. It is going to be a struggle. And I think, that is, you know, a thing that it kind of shrinks the playbook a little bit, like how much trust you have in your line to hold up, you know, and I think I was surprised the last time we played that we weren't able to run the ball. Like I remember, like, I, yeah, I, I remember watching that Browns Broncos game when Case Keenum was starting and like, I was like, okay, the Browns, like, like the Broncos D line is like, it's okay, but like the Browns offensive line is something else. So I was like betting like Dearness Johnson, like touchdowns over receiving yards, over rushing yards. And it worked because like 
the you know your D line wasn't that good at the time. And I was like, okay, the same thing's gonna happen when we play. I know we're missing Matt Filer, but like our we have Lindsley and Slater. That's we don't really need to have this like stellar offensive line. But Draymond Jones showed up, and even without Shelby Harris, the rest of that off the rest of the defensive line showed up. And I think that's gonna be a sneaky matchup again to watch. Like how well are we gonna be able to run the ball? Even though I haven't like I'm more obviously as an analytics guy working at PFF, I have to support passing the ball, which I do. But the Chargers running the ball has become more of a thing of late in the last two games against the Chiefs and Texans. And getting Austin Eckler back will be crucial to, you know, improve, like continuing their success on the ground against, you know, the Broncos who allowed, I think, like 130 yards to Josh Jacobs. Yeah. And I I want to touch on this because you, you mentioned this and this is, I think, something worth kind of, you know, digging into a little bit. I think, and I agree with you, honestly, running is less efficient than passing. I think, you know, the numbers bear that out. I don't think there's any, just, there's not really a good argument to make that running is more effective than passing. I know people will try mm. and do it. I, I do think that there is some merit though, to running the ball in order to protect your offensive line from being kind of like teed off on in the pass rush or against a pass rush. And I think yeah. for the Chargers, that's probably one of the big important parts of it. Honestly, for the Broncos too, at this point. Um, it's just like when, when there's kind of the, the, there's a chance that it could be a run or a pass. The defense has to play on us. And because of that, it makes it easier yeah. to do play action. Not necessarily that it sets it up, but just that the, the pass rush isn't just gung, gung, uh, gunning for the quarterback. Um, and to your point though, I am really surprised that the Broncos had so much success against, uh, the run last time, just because the Broncos run off a uh, run defense has been bad all year. Uh, it's kind of been slipping mm-hmm. underneath the surface just because total yardage, the Broncos run defense hasn't looked that bad until a couple games. Like they've had some really bad games, but over the course of the season, if you look at total yardage, it, it doesn't look awful. And, and because of that, I think a lot of people kind of sleep on it. But the thing is, you look at the advanced stats, the Broncos run defense, at least by DVOA is off left tackle or between the tackles. They're one of the two worst deep run defenses in football. And opponents are running at those two spots almost 70% of the time because they know it's weak. Um, just at the end of the day, Mike Purcell is not having the season he had before. Uh, losing Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell has really hurt the Broncos. Um, and this isn't to take anything away from Baron Browning and now Jonas Griffith, but Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell really made up for some of the issues on the defensive line. The Broncos defensive line is kind of undersized outside of Purcell. And it's showing up this year. And then it also doesn't help that Shelby Harris has been playing with two different injuries. Now Draymond Jones is hurt. So it it didn't surprise me that the Raiders had so much success running the ball, but it is disconcerting just because if you guys have Eckler and if you do get Slater back, you guys have the personnel to, to run a lot. It's time for today's lucky land horoscope with Victoria cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. And I, I mean, we, we do have Slater back. I'll, you know, I think I should clarify that Slater, oh, sorry. he's I'm been, just... yeah, yeah, the storm warden, the right tackle. Uh, but, but yeah, I think 
I think another thing, like I want to do some some research on this in the in the off season, but like I think teams are slowly figuring out how to beat too high defenses, and like I think I think running the ball is just going to be like you have to be able to run the ball, and I it pains me to say that that's why the NFL seems so boring this year. Like teams are just playing too high, so like you can't throw the ball deep, and you're just forced to dink and dunk or you know pick up three four yards on the ground. And it's interesting, like the Chargers, the Packers, um, the Broncos and or not the Rams. So just the Chargers, the the Packers and the Broncos all rank below are all are all in the bottom 11 in rush EPA per play allowed. Uh, the Rams, who are the other um, prominent too high team, as I like to call them, they're actually second. But they have a man called Aaron Donald that, uh, you know, we don't have, um, you know, in our arsenal. So I, I am, I am wondering like how teams like the Broncos and chargers and Packers who use this Fangio too high scheme are going to adjust because like, you can't just play light boxes every single like play because teams are just going to be able to gash you for five, six yards, which is what we saw like Rex Burkhead running for 140 yards on a charge on the chargers defense was not something that was like fun to look at. Um, and especially, you know, I, I'm sure as a Broncos fan, like Josh Jacobs, who's been pretty bad all season, like going for 130 with that offensive line that like is one of the top or one of the bottom five worst, in my opinion, it's not it's not a fun thing to see. So, you know, I, I think the size is important. Like you guys don't have a true nose tackle um, you know, like you talked about Mike Purcell. But but yeah, that, that's a really good point that you brought up. I'm glad you mentioned Josh Jacobs too, because uh, about halfway through that game, right after he had that fumble, I actually had a little blurb written because I, I every week I write a you know post game like what I noticed during the broadcast, yeah, yeah. and I actually had a blurb written during the first half of Josh Jacobs looks like exactly how I expected back when he was drafted. I was quite happy that the Raiders wasted their three first round picks, one of them on a running back, one of them on a box safety, and one of them on a corner who couldn't play. Uh, so like when they did that, I, I was, I was ecstatic just because I was afraid they were actually going to get difference makers. And then, you know, of course across the second half, Josh Jacobs tore, tore everything apart. So I had to delete that blurb, but <laughs> you're right though, over the course of his career though, Josh Jacobs has been really pretty disappointing outside of mm -hmm. that rookie year when the Raiders had a pretty strong offensive line, which kind of hammers home the idea that overdrafting running backs is a poor, you know, way to use resources. But, but yeah, the Broncos run defense has been so bad. I do expect Eckler to have a good day. Uh, and then the other part of this is, is Eckler is actually a pretty good receiving option. Uh, last time around, we saw the Chargers use quite, quite a few Texas routes to try and get yeah. him in space against Baron Browning and Kenny Young. Baron Browning, I thought, did a pretty good job of it. And I think Kenny Young was okay. It's going to be a test for Jonas Griffith. I know PFF gave Jonas Griffith a really high grade from last week. And I'll admit, like, I was very happy with what he showed. Um, it's definitely still a concern going forward, though, just because we don't have much of a sample size yet. And to this point in his career, he's been a special teamer. So mm -hmm. you kind of, you know, there's going to probably be some variance to what he does. Uh, so I am kind of concerned about how he's going to fare against Eckler in coverage. Yeah, uh, the Texas, I'm pretty sure, like you mentioned, Eckler scored the touchdown off the Texas route um, in the first half. Um, I'm not sure who that was on, but yeah, that was a good call by you. Uh, I, I am curious to see also like if they do take advantage of the linebackers using more screens, that also takes more pressure off the offensive line. Um, 
per my friend Ryan Wiseman at the Kneel Down, who I know I've seen on your Twitter, you use his yeah. website, his awesome website pretty well. Uh, the Chargers are in the top 10 in NFL screen rate, but they are a really good screen team because like a good majority of their screens are wide receiver screens, which are historically very ineffective. So, you know, using more tight end screens, running back screens, taking advantage of the linebackers, helping out your offensive alignment. I think that should be a part of the game plan, um, especially for a team that runs screens as much as the Chargers and having, you know, the weapons to be able to do that. The other big part of this too is the Bron and again, this is why everybody thinks the Broncos defense is really good. And I get it. The Broncos scoring defense is tied for first in the league as of right now uh, with the Patriots. That said, a big part of this, and, and again, like this, you, you can appreciate this, but I want to, you know, clarify for our listeners. I think a big part of this is the Broncos have a slow offense. So because of that, opponents don't get as many opportunities which leads to low scoring games on the Broncos side, but also low scoring games against them a lot. And again, this isn't to say that the Broncos defense is necessarily bad, but when you look at the efficiency stats, the Broncos do struggle to stop the run in the red zone. Uh, they're okay against the pass. I know Derek Carr had an okay game last week, uh, hooking up with Hunter Renfro on a corner route, but I am quite concerned about what the chargers are going to do on the ground in the red zone. Uh, I want to say, according to DVOA, the Broncos are the third worst rushing defense in the in football. Yeah, uh, like I think you, the red zone is an area where the Chargers have excelled um, as of late. I think they started off pretty slow, but they have picked it up, you know, a lot in the in the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, it, I think okay, so I'll put it this way: the red zone from the twenty, the Chargers have been pretty solid. I think once they get inside the ten. Once they get inside the 10, their efficiency stats, if we're looking at something like EPA per play, which yeah, EPA weights negative plays super hard. So like like the Chargers, if they fail to score inside a goal to go situation, you know, their EPA, EPA lost is going to be a lot compared to like if they fail to fourth down or something from the 30, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I put this, yeah. And I, I put this out after the Chiefs game. Um, because of all those controversial fourth downs that the Chargers weren't able to get. And also Joshua Kelly fumbling after jumping from the three-yard line. The, the Chargers had, after the Chiefs game, the third worst EPA per play in goal-to-go situations. But I don't think, like, that is such a small sample size. It doesn't dictate overall, you know, their like their overall efficiency um, in the red zone. I do think they've done a good job converting a lot of their red zone trips to touchdowns. Um, and a lot of that has actually just been like, okay, hand the ball off to Austin Eckler, run behind Slate, uh, Rashawn Slater and Matt Filer on the left side and score a touchdown. Like they don't, I've never, I just can't recall any plays where they've run on the right side, which is our, which is our uh, weak side of the offensive line. A lot of it does come with like halfback dives or, or outside zone calls, um, along the left side of the offensive line. So, yeah. So like, if you're looking, if you've looked at my Twitter and stuff, the EPA per play on, on goal to go situations isn't that good, but it it's because, you know, failed fourth down conversions, the charges by turnovers in the red zone that drops the overall efficiency. While if you're just looking at something as simple as touchdown percentage was, which I think is, you know, somewhat of a be better measurement of efficiency in this case. Um, I think they have been pretty solid. I'm glad you mentioned EPA and kind of explained it a little bit too, just because, 
there's been a lot of controversy all year in Broncos country around the fact that Teddy Bridgewater has been very, very good by EPA uh, all year. Yeah. Uh, and I know Jimmy Garoppolo is the other guy uh, that tends to do really, really well by EPA. Um, but the way you explain it, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, because this has kind of been my understanding of it, you know, since I started seeing it, it's just, it's too nuanced to really go at length and on Twitter and try and explain because you make one tweet and people just start hounding you before you're even done, you know, with the whole thought. But, but Teddy Bridgewater back when he was healthy for the most part, he did a pretty good job avoiding like the back breaking mistakes. Uh, yeah. wasn't necessarily lighting up the world, but he was kind of trying to keep the bo- the Broncos offense at least on the field for the most part. And he was completing passes. And I think those two things kind of juiced what his EPA looks like. Whereas most quarterbacks are going to take a few more sacks, take a few, you know, make a few more interceptions, stuff like that. But they're also going to give you more big time throws because I know PFF last I checked, uh, Bridgewater was last in the league in big time throws. Yeah, that's not that's not very surprising in my opinion. No. Uh, yeah, but uh, like the whole EPA like discussion, like I, I'm an EPA guy, obviously. Like in analytics, I I think it's it's shown to be more predictive. It's shown to be a better measurement in certain cases than just using something as simple something as simple as total yards. But yeah, like I, I think it's funny. I was talking about this with my with my friend the other day. It's like the Broncos season has literally almost played out exactly how I thought it would with Teddy at the helm. Like this was like, I, I don't know if I like put out an official prediction, but I was like, okay, if they're starting Teddy, I could see them going eight and nine and or nine and eight because Teddy will not turn the ball over and he'll give the Broncos defense a chance to be in, you know, decent situations. And that's what we saw. I mean, seven, you guys are seven and eight right now, potentially could go eight and nine, nine and eight. It's just played out the way we thought it would. And it's just like, I, I hate to say it. I just don't see him as a type of guy that has the type of elite level play that will, you know, give, give the Broncos a chance to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, the big time throw rate is important. Like you, you need to have explosive plays on offense. It's, yes. it's just, it's way too important because what I realized as a Chargers fan, it was like, okay, the sit, like what Lombardi is doing is like, he wants to dink, not dink and dunk, but like he wants to have these successful plays, six yard slant, five yard in, and it was like these quick game dropbacks that he was forcing Herbert to throw early in the year. What I realized is like offenses are going to make mistakes. Like yep. someone is going to have a holding call. Someone is going to, is going to trips or someone's, you know, someone's going to make a mistake to where now you're backed up and you're forced to how, you know, third and 14, third and 16, things like that. But explosive plays take away the chance for you to have penalties or, or miscues like a fumble or, or a pick. So you want a guy that not only like finds a way to turn, like not turn the ball over, not put the ball in harm's way, but also has the ability to generate explosive plays, which is just something that Teddy isn't built for. And, you know, the whole, I don't, I follow you and I've seen some of the Drew Locke, Teddy conundrum stuff. Sorry about that. I'm not, yeah, no, it's fine. (laughs) Like it's, it's, it's all NFL talking. I'm all, I'm all here to talk ball. I'm not going to get into the thick of things like that's another offseason yeah. discussion we can have. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, Teddy's just kind of been what we all expected. And, you know, the Broncos season has kind of played out that way as well. And I think, and, and I only want to mention this. I don't want to get, you know, too into the weeds on this. We can, I agree. If you're, if you're down, I would love to talk to you about this in the off season. But, but I do think that there's currently a controversy going on with the Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater thing 
with the idea that, well, the fact that Teddy Bridgewater played as he did, the Broncos ended up seven and eight after one of the easier schedules in football. So they wasted a year of Drew Locke because if they, if they would have played him, he would have got better and they'd be in the thick of things. First of all, there's no guarantee he would have got better. Like that's, that's a whole yeah. thing. But I think the other part of this that I think a lot of people are kind of like losing track of the Broncos back in training camp thought that they were going to have one of the best defenses in the league, like straight up best defense in the league. And yes, the defense is playing really better than I thought it would, but the defense, if you dig underneath the scoring number, this Broncos defense is not the best defense in football. And I, and I, and I know I'm not trying to upset anybody listening, but the defense has been a disappointment relative to expectations going into the year. Starting Teddy Bridgewater, if you would have had one of the five best defenses in football, probably looks pretty smart just because he's not going to hurt you. So the defense can carry you to wins. But once the defense started to really lag, it did start to look like, well, they're probably not doing anything anyway. And that's why after the Broncos lost to Case Keenum and Dearness Johnson, I actually said, it makes sense to play Drew Locke the rest of the way because they're not going to win. They're not going to win playoff games with this. Um, Grant, they didn't do it. Here we are now. Drew Locke is starting. But, but I do think like, I, I think the process that led to Teddy Bridgewater made sense, especially given the fact talking to people who are on the ground, not just, you know, people reporting Teddy Bridgewater outplayed Drew Locke in camp. Like, I don't think that was as close as, you know, reports were trying to suggest. So that's kind of just where we're at. And granted, again, now that Locke is in, I hope he shows enough over the last two games, just because the Broncos do have him on a rookie contract for one more year next year. If he plays well enough and the Broncos can't get an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, maybe he can be the bridge for a rookie. And I mean, I'm not saying that with a lot of optimism. I know you guys listening know that I'm not the biggest Drew Locke fan. Uh, But I mean, if he shows enough, he could be a placeholder for a little while and hopefully give, you know, your rookie time to kind of ramp up and get, get his feet wet. Um, But in this game, I, I think we need, you know, obviously in the here and now, if Drew Locke's going to have a good game against the Chargers, he needs more help. And I think that was a big part of what happened last week. It, I made jokes about the PFF grade, but honestly, like Drew Locke looked a lot better than the numbers suggested. Uh, I don't think he was quite on the level of Joe Burrow, but I do think that like that was one of the two best games I've seen from Drew Locke in a Broncos uniform. Uh, he was delivering balls where they needed to go. He, against the pretty good pass rush. He was not falling apart. And, and again, we've watched Drew Locke through his career to this point. Usually when he starts to smell the, the, the slightest hint of pressure, he starts to panic and he'll bail out of clean pockets. He'll rush decisions. That kind of stuff wasn't happening at the same time. And this is kind of where we're getting to, you know, this game, the Broncos averaged four yards per play against one of the weakest defenses in the league. I went and looked at the running backs like of the year. Again, running isn't as effective as uh, passing. There are 29 running backs who have 100 or more carries who average more than four yards a rush. So to give you an idea, like dear listener of like how bad the Broncos offense was, 29 running backs just running the ball did better than the Broncos offense did against the Raiders. Like that's pathetic. And, and again, that's an indictment of Shermer. I also think that like the receivers dropped the ball, stuff like that, but the Broncos need to do better if they're going to have a chance in this game because Justin Herbert's going to be able to put up points. 
Yeah, like I I remember like looking at the box score and I was like, okay, Melvin Gordon has seven carries for negative four yards. And I was like, what like what am I what am I looking at? And it was like, okay, I understand the Raiders have a decent front four. Obviously, it's gonna it's gonna be better than the Chargers. And so like the run game, we'll we'll talk about it in a little bit. But like the Raiders secondary is not is not good, like period. And I figured like, okay, you guys, I mean like seven at seven and seven at the time i feel like you have something to play for and like if you're gonna make the playoffs in this case like you need to be able to put up points on the raiders um and i figured like okay you'd probably do it by attacking their corners uh drew lock kind of has had some success against gus bradley in the past i'm not gonna say it's been like overwhelming success but you know that (laughs) the the game in denver last year where he made that furious comeback against the chargers he kind of just carved up Gus Bradley's cover three with a bunch of like crossing routes. I remember this one dagger concept he hit Deshaun Hamilton, I believe, or Jerry Judy. It was a beautiful throw. Like he's Deshaun had success Hamilton. against yeah. Gus Bradley. I remember that. Yeah. The cover that the the missed tackle after the the dagger. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was a that was that, a phenomenal that, yeah. play. Yeah. Obviously not fun to watch as a Chargers fan, <laughs> but yeah. But I mean, like he's had success, and like you know, you only had fourteen runs with Gordon and Williams combined and didn't really do anything with that. Um, so like, I know Pat Shermer, I think like he had some fans early in the year when he started off three, and like, I don't, I don't personally, like, I don't have an opinion on him cause I don't, I haven't watched a lot of Broncos football outside of like the big broadcasting games. Um, but, but yeah, like if you want, if you want to transition to like how this Broncos offense stacks up against the chargers defense, like I think you guys had a major advantage at receiver before Tim Patrick got announced with COVID. Like we, like we potentially, if if everything goes wrong with the COVID list, like our starting corners this game would be Asante Samuel Jr., who's five ten. Mm-hmm. You would be starting either Isang Bassi, who was a former Broncos legend or former Broncos player, Devonte Harris, who was a former Broncos special teamer. Yep. And Kimon Hall, who's a practice squad player against Judy, Patrick, and Sutton. Like, I know your run game is like you have one of the best running back duos in the league, but I figured like, hell, you got nothing like you got nothing to lose. You want to just see what Drew Lock can do against a defensive coordinator who had the number one defense in the league a year ago. Like, I figured like that would be the game plan. I don't know if that changes with Patrick out or if we get some of our corners back, but that's the area that I'm like super nervous for because I just don't see any way we're stopping your passing attack. If Drew locks on his game again, like he was. Well, and to me, it comes down to what Shermer. Well, it comes down to Shermer and it comes down to the fact that like the receivers have to hold on to those. Pa- like, Cause Drew lock, I want to say went over, over four, over five on 20 plus yard passes. But, but most of those were, I know he hit, I want to say it was Sutton. He hit Sutton on the sideline. Sutton couldn't keep his feet in. He hit Jerry Judy on one, couldn't and Jerry Judy couldn't bring it down, and then he hit Albert O on one, and Albert O couldn't bring it in. Um, so it's not that like it's not that Locke wasn't connecting on these passes; they just weren't caught. Uh, so like I have faith in that, but I do think that Sherman needs to kind of have some kind of just has to say fuck it and just let him throw it because I think that was kind of one of the <laughs> things that got in the, yeah. way in the in the Raiders game is Pat Shermer called the game like he had no faith in Drew Locke. And believe me, I get it. Like of all people, I understand why you wouldn't have faith in Drew Locke. But by doing so, he made the offense really easy to defend. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm just looking at the stats right now. I think so. We had one. We had Drew Luck going one of five on 20 yard passes. Okay. I think one of them was Noah no fan. Yep. Yeah. And and so weirdly enough, even though he went one of five, we actually gave him as uh, you know not P, we as in PFF's data charting team. Uh, we had Drew Lock ha- have two big time throws on passes more than 20 yards in the air, even though he only had one completion. So yeah, I think you're right. Like he didn't have a lot of help um, from his from his receivers against the Raiders. And you know, I'm wondering, you know, drops are kind of streaky. Um, and we, you know, that could potentially change this time around when you guys come to LA this weekend. But, but yeah, if, if he wants to play well, and I think that's why he had a high grade, obviously, you know, you can have a lot of help, but if he wants to have another good game, I think his receivers helping him out, his offensive line helping him out is going to be huge. And just, just seeing how he like Shermer is going to attack this defense is going to be interesting. Like, I do think, you know, you guys will be trying to run the ball a lot. I think Fangio kind of understands what Sealy wants to do. Eliminate explosive passes and force you to run the ball, even though we can't stop the damn run, which is kind of annoying. Uh, and I'm not sure if you're going to get Cushionberry back. Yeah, but... it looks like he's going to be back. Um, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. That was pretty much my point. Like, I think it's going to be a run heavy game for you guys and trying to keep the ball out of Herbert's hands as much as possible, which is the right thing to do. And that's one of the scary things about the matchup in terms of uh, in the passing game. Is just that the Staley defense, like Fangio's, is built to sit over the top and just make you kind of mar- march the field very, you know, in small increments. That hasn't necessarily been Locke's game up till this point outside of the Raiders game. Um, mm-hmm. He he does okay in the short areas, but he's at his best kind of curl routes, go routes, and then kind of the checkdowns. Uh, and granted, like that could work, uh, just because you guys are, if, if you don't have everybody back from the COVID list, Asante Samuel versus Javante Williams in the open field is probably going to be an advantage for Denver. Uh, but it kind of relies on Locke playing within himself and being able to, to place the ball in places where guys can make yards after contact or after the catch. And I, I'm hopeful, but that hasn't been his game to this point. The The Broncos offense last year with Drew Locke looked quite different than when Teddy Bridgewater has been playing just because Shermer really dialed down on how often they were using horizontal leading routes because Shermer or because uh, Locke couldn't hit him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that in that there was hints of that in the in the Raiders game is just the Broncos were using a lot more spacing concepts, stuff like that. Granted, spacing is really good against cover three. So that also makes sense that way. Uh, but I'm curious to see kind of what that means for this game, just because Staley doesn't run cover three nearly as much as Gus Bradley does. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all agree. Gus Bradley is what's the, what's the good term? Like he's the, he's like the top dog or like, is there a better term for that? Like he's like the guy for running cover three. I mean, he, the man doesn't do anything else, but run cover three. On his, I don't, I don't think defense. anyone loves it as much as he does. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, okay, if, if he continues to be a DC somewhere in the next couple of years, you know, I, I'm just curious to see if he adapts the scheme at all, if, or if he just stays in like, you know, Seattle cover three stuff with how, how much too high has been infiltrating um, defenses in the league. But yeah, like the, the Chargers have the seventh most missed tackles. Um, part of that has been because they haven't had their guys like Derwin James and our top run defender Justin Justin Jones on the field the last couple of weeks because of COVID and injuries and all that. But like the Chargers don't do a good job of, of stopping the run 
also the seventh most missed tackles um, on rushing plays, despite, you know, teams not really running as much against them in, in, in um, the last couple of weeks because the Chargers have been playing from ahead. But I, I'm, I think getting Javante, getting Melvin involved in the passing game is going to be an advantage for you guys. Um, from what I've watched, Derwin usually doesn't cover running backs. He's going to be the guy on, on safeties or slot receivers because um, we've had some slot cornerback or dime cornerback issues in the past. Mm -hmm. So that means Melvin or Javante are probably going to be going up against rookies, Nick Neiman and or Eamon Ogbong Bamiga, who's an, who is an undrafted free agent. I actually really and like just him. Like, out. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, just, yeah, you know, yeah. just so you know. Oklahoma State. Yep. Um, it's it's going to be similar to like us taking advantage of um, your guys' linebackers. And Kaiser White, who's our top dog, uh, he's been really good this year in a contract year. You know, staying away from him and trying to attack the other rookie linebackers is, I think, an advantage for the Broncos to, to try to get into this weekend, assuming that um, Drew Tranquil, who's our other starting linebacker, is going to be out. One of the other big parts, and this is the other reason why this matchup looks a lot different than the first matchup, is the fact that the first time around, the Broncos went heavy, like really heavy. Uh, mm -hmm. Shermer on the year uh, uses 11 personnel. And again, for listeners, three receiver sets. So, But Shermer uses three receivers on almost 70% of his plays uh, for the season. But the first, first Chargers game, he actually only did it, I want to say, 53% of the time. And the Broncos actually, instead of running a lot of 12, they ran a lot of 13. So they would bring Andrew Beck on the field and then have both Albert O and Noah Fant. And then Andrew Beck was just playing fullback. Uh, and they were just trying to run it down your guys' throats. I want to say the Broncos averaged just about five yards of a carry on those plays. But now Andrew Beck's on IR. And we haven't seen very much 21, like 21-esque is what I want to say, because it is a tight end but they're lined mm -hmm. up as a fullback, but we haven't seen it much since he's been out, even though Eric Saubert can do that. Uh, so I'm really curious to see if they do just because that was so effective the first time around. Whereas the Broncos offense actually wasn't great out of 11 the first time. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day. Couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, like I, I, do, I do think going heavy has been an area where the Chargers have not been able to figure out on defense. I think that is like a weakness of the, the too high shell that um, Staley, Fangio, Joe Barry, and Raheem Morris run is like, how can you account for the extra big guy on the field? Because then you have to deal with five offensive linemen and two tight ends. And if you're running nickel, that means you only have six kind of big-ish guys. If you count two linebackers as big guys, you only have six guys to go against seven. And if you're a zone, if you're going against a zone scheme, right, like alignment taking out a linebacker on the second level is going to happen like a majority of the time, you know, given the weight difference. So I think for, for a team like the Chargers who run nickel like a bunch or a majority of their plays, Going heavy is the move, whether it's 12 or 21, depending on like how you view the fullback as a tight end. And like, I don't, I'm not sure what your guys' third tight end situation is, but 
like 13 personnel is, is something that has worked against the Chargers in the past. Like the Chiefs, I know that they use Travis Kelsey and Blake Bell on a good number of snaps together against the Chargers. I'm not sure about their efficiency, like on the dot, because like, I don't have that in front of me. But but that is something that teams have trying have been trying to exploit, you know, against the Chargers defense. Well, and it make like philosophically, it makes a lot of sense to me just because Staley does want to play out of a light box, similar to Fangio. And if you go heavy enough, he basically can't. And then that also kind of creates a personnel issue just because, and again, I know this week after the Texans loss, everybody and their mom is trying to be like, Staley's a fraud, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's, that's true at all. I think that at the end of the day, there's a huge personnel disadvantage for the chargers right now, just because this is year one and the middle of the defense is kind of wanting Kenneth Murray, first round linebacker, but hasn't panned out at all. He's playing edge. And then the middle of the defense is really, really dependent on Linville Joseph, just kind of like eating space. And it's, mm. I get it. And again, like, I don't think that's on Staley. I think that's more of a, they drafted those guys and brought in those guys and, and for Gus Bradley defense. And now Staley's kind of trying to make it work until he gets his guys. But from a Broncos perspective, that's what you should try and exploit. If you don't trust Locke to be able to air it out without causing issues is I think you should try and run the ball and kind of take the air out of the game as much as possible. Unfortunately, that means that you need the defense to be able to slow down Herbert enough to keep it close. Yeah. But if you can do that, that's kind of like a safe recipe for a victory, I think. Uh, but it depends on being able to run the ball. And as we saw, when when teams don't have to respect the passing game, it's a little bit easier to crowd the line like last week. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, you know, like, I think the last time we played you guys, the Chargers were on this this uh, curve of just being super inconsistent. Like they had a really good performance and a really bad one. And, you know, before we played you guys, uh, we were coming off that uh, Sunday night win against the Steelers where we had a really good offensive game. And and now I think we've done a good job of putting together quality offensive performances. Like the, the offense was not the reason the Chargers lost against the Texans. It was because the defense allowed 34 points to Davis Mills and company. So I think I, I do think like if the like I don't think the Chargers offense is going to be the issue, like the the part that worries me. I do think if the I think if the Broncos go up early, they'll win the game. Like if they go up double digits, I think the Broncos win. Um, you know, if anyone bets on and then is listening this far in the, in the podcast, like the fact that the, the market opened up at Chargers minus six when you guys won by 15 and we just lost to the Texans, I think just speaks to how bad Drew Locke has been and like how little respect the market has for him as a quarterback. Like, like I didn't want to take Broncos plus six because like, I'm not trying to bet against the Chargers, but like, if, if I was to bet on that game, it would be like, it'd be like, okay, the Broncos are not six point dogs against the Chargers. You know, when both teams are pretty similar and like have, are kind of in that, like, haven't been playing well area the past couple of weeks. Well, we sorry. Like I, I'll, I'll talk about the Kenneth Murray thing. Like, yeah, yeah, that, that was probably, that was probably like the, the worst draft move in the Telesco era. You don't ever trade up for a first round line. You don't ever trade up in the first round for a linebacker. The second, probably the second least valuable position on the field. And now he's not even playing inside linebacker. He's playing edge as a backup. So, and- you know, <laughs> and going no i agree and going going even beyond that because i i scouted him for the broncos coming out just because 
the Broncos have had a need at linebacker and they were considering it. Uh, and you know, there was some reports that they were interested in him going back to his Oklahoma tape. He basically didn't play coverage. His coverage responsibility was a guy out in the flat. And again, like I get it. He was quite good at that because yeah. basically you or see TV it. You go, spy. Yeah. Those two things, you either see it, go get it, or you make sure the quarterback can't run, but he never really was playing like, tr- like actual coverage against tight ends, against any sort of receivers or any real drops. Then you put him in the NFL where all of us, all those coverage responsibilities are going to be a lot more complex. And you're just saying, Oh, well, he's so athletic. He'll figure it out. And on top of that, he's a linebacker. So it's just, it was, it was an abysmal decision. Uh, I'm very glad that the Broncos didn't make it. Um, you know, we, we have our own, own issues, uh, but it, it, it does hint at the fact that like, that's one of the reasons why there is an issue in the middle of the field for the chargers is Murray just has not panned out. I think that's a good point. And like, that's obviously why they moved him to edge is because he can't cover like, and he's not good enough to be a line or he hasn't shown enough to be a linebacker in Staley's scheme where it's like the D lineman. And it's the same with Fangio. Like the D linemen are playing one and a half gaps. They're not, you know, just rushing straight ahead. They're rushing at at an angle, which should allow the linebackers and safeties to fit the run. Something I've, I've watched Justin Simmons do very well. I even, I even think I included a run fit of him in an article I wrote for PFF over the summer, whereas like the the D linemen were fitting or were attacking a gap or one and a half gaps, and uh, Simmons found the open lane and hit that and tackled a runner for no gain. And that's something Derwin James does very well. Also, something Kenneth Murray should have been able to do as one of his strengths coming out of college, but has not panned out, and that's why the the positional change was made, and he hasn't he has like zero prep one pressure in like 54 pass rush snaps which is not impressive at all he is one of those guys that i i do and again i don't think he's probably ever going to live up to the first round billing but i do think that he basically needs to go to a scheme like matt eberflus's where the coverage responsibilities for the linebacker are pretty simple uh and then you can just run and chase i i and again like this is one of those reasons why like the broncos linebackers under fangio there's kind of like a ramp up period and some guys haven't been able to get it. A lot of guys that have like suddenly look really good because of this, but the gap and a half idea, if you can make that read, you can make a lot of plays in the backfield. Uh, we saw that with like Baron Browning's coming along really quickly with this. Justin Sernod didn't like Justin Sernod had a, a, some moments, but then you saw the Cleveland game where he was the best linebacker on the field, theoretically. And it is one of the worst linebacker games I've seen in a few years just cause he wasn't reading. He wasn't reading the gap. Well, he wasn't fitting it. And Dearness Johnson went crazy. Um, and Kenneth Murray, I, I, it just, that's probably a part of it. It's just the game is fast. Uh, I want to ask you this and I, I have to ask just because from, from your perspective, first of all, from your perspective, would you rather the chargers face Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke? And then I want to ask, uh, because it's looking like it's going to be Drew Locke, what looks like the ideal game plan to kind of shut down the Broncos offense? Um, That's a good question. I I think I would rather face Drew Locke because I think he gives the Chargers a chance to come back in the game if the Broncos go up early because of how much variance he has in his play. Like he could throw a pick at any time, whereas Teddy, like you know, if the Broncos go up early, he's a good game manager. He won't, you know, turn the ball over. He'll keep 
the the drives moving. You'll either you'll take the yards. You want to look for the big play. And I, I think I think I would try to win the game against Drew Lock by kind of just like shutting down the run early. Like the the Chargers rank in the top ten in lightest boxes on early downs. Um, obviously that they were like number three early in the year, but because of a bunch of injuries and them not being able to stop the run, Staley increased the number of people he had in the box a little bit. So I think shutting down the run early and, and for, I mean, I would just try to force Drew Locke to beat me with his arm. I, like he hasn't shown the ability to be a franchise quarterback yet, in my opinion. And like, if you're, if you lose by Drew Locke, I think like you just tip your hat and say, okay, you had a good game. If he's improved that much, then hats off to, you know, the, the Broncos organization. Maybe they found the guy again or whatever, but I would rather lose by Drew Locke than lose by Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams rushing for like rushing 35 times for like 150 yards, because not only does that take the ball out of Herbert, like, you know, time of possession is like one of those like things that analytics guys hate to use, but like, if the the less amount of time Herbert has the ball, the you know the less amount of points he's able to score. And this was one of the issues with the Chargers is like earlier in the year they had the second most um, plays per drive, and they also had like the least number of drives drives per game because number one their drives took so long. Like they had these like sixteen play ninety yard drives, and then their defense was just getting gashed in the run. So like you'd have these like you'd be allowing these six minute drives, which kept the offense on the sideline and all that. So if 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 we stop the run and we're getting beat by Drew Lock deep bombs, you know that that still gives the ball back to our offense and it gives them a chance. But like, like I said, like I I don't trust Drew Lock enough to the point where or I don't I don't trust Drew Lock that he will beat us. Like I think if we force him to throw the ball, we should have a successful day regardless of you know as long as we have Joey Bosa and Derwin James back. But allowing Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, you know, eat us up on the ground with Lloyd Cushenberry coming back and you guys having your interior, that's just not something that I think would be a, a smart thing for Staley to allow. That's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to see this game, just because I agree. I think if I was Staley, and again, like usually on a from a defensive perspective, I think a lot of coaches go into it thinking, I want to make them fight left-handed. I want to take away the thing that they do the best. So they have to try and beat me with something else for the Broncos. The best thing about the Broncos offense at this point is their running game. But what makes it really interesting is just that the Chargers rush defense is so bad that I like you, you almost wonder if Staley is Staley going to just say, well, we can't stop the run. We're just going to do what we can to make them beat us with that. Or is he going to say, we're going to throw what we have to, to stop the run and take our chances with Drew Locke. Because I do think that's what I would do, but I'm not sure if that's what he'll do. And I'm, it, it's going to be fun to watch either way. Because from, from an X and O standpoint, like I've watched enough Chargers at this point that I get, again, I get the, the headlines and all that. I don't have a lot of question about Staley's defensive like mind. I think he knows what he's doing. So I'm, I mean, I'm curious to see how he approaches this one. Yeah, I don't think a scheme is the issue. I think it's just the personnel. And like I think... He talked about it in his post-game press conference against the Texans. He was like, we had the right defensive calls. We had the run fit formations. Like the players just didn't show up to play. Like they just got bullied up front. And I think like just having guys that want to fight and like now they're, now they screwed up. Like now they have to win out. So if they have that fire, if they have that, like, okay, we're going to beat this offensive lineman 
on this run play, I think that helps, or obviously it helps them if you have that mentality. But, but yeah, I mean, I think he he's done a good job. His philosophy is sound. He just needs his players to execute. And the Chargers have suffered a lot of secondary injuries. They've had like 61, some or 60 odd um, secondary combinations this year, which is a lot. And like that just takes away from Staley being able to call the coverages he wants or call you know, the, the pre-snap looks that he wants to call or the, the, the disguised blitz packages and all of that stuff that he's ran successfully with the Rams last year. So probably the biggest, ver- like kind of biggest wild card going into this game, I think is going to be the special teams. Uh, the Broncos special teams for the, those listening doesn't need a whole lot of introduction. Uh, they've been awful for five years now. Uh, Tom McMahon was hired four years ago. They did not get better. Uh, and they're kind of, they're abysmal in a way that's like exciting just because they'll allow punt blocks. They'll muff punts. They'll allow a kickoff return for a touchdown. They'll allow long punt returns and then they'll be okay for a while. Uh, for the last couple games, they've actually been pretty solid. Um, meanwhile, the chargers special teams is bad, but at least in the games I've watched, they're bad in like the boring way and just they're kind of losing inches at a time. Uh, like yeah. a, kickoff, a kickoff return will get to the 20 instead of the 25, stuff like that. Uh, do you think that special teams could end up deciding this game or do you think it's going to be just kind of on the sideline? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I, I, I think it'll play a part, you know, Dustin Hopkins, who we signed in like week four or five or something. He's been really good for us. Um, he actually just got placed on the COVID um, list this week. So we have Tristan Viscano, who was our practice squad kicker, who was pretty bad the first couple of weeks that we played with him um, in the regular season. He'll probably be the, the lead guy. And he's he's missed a lot of kicks. He's missed some PATs. So, you know, we're like the Chargers are right there with you guys. Like we have been so bad on special teams. Like I looked at this over the offseason, like the, the Chargers – special teams EPA rank has been since Anthony Lynn got hired. It's been like 32, 31 off year, which was like 27th, which is still awful. And then they were the worst. They were the worst special teams in the league historically since 2010 in in, uh, 2020. So the Chargers are not good on special teams. You know, they haven't had like too many egregious mistakes, but I do think it might play a part. You know, Brandon McManus is obviously a better kicker than whoever we're going to be trotting out. I um, and I, I did. Oh, I didn't realize Hopkins landed on the COVID list. I didn't see that. So yeah. that that really throws a wrench in stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Andre Roberts also landed on the COVID list, and he's been really, really good for us the past couple of weeks. And you know, ever since he got signed, he's been he's been getting getting those uh, invisible yards as I like as I like, as they like to call them. Right, especially in the kick return and punt return game. Kind of looking ahead, uh, just because you know there is a chance that neither of these teams go to the playoffs. Uh, I don't know how much you've started to look at the off season, just because you guys are in the middle of a playoff push. Uh, I know for me, until the Broncos lost to the Bengals, I was pretty focused on this year. Uh, I've started to try and you know do a little bit of like one eye here, one eye there. Uh, but have you looked ahead to kind of like what's ahead with uh, the the Chargers at all? Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't like focused too much on the draft 
obviously with the Chargers and the thick of things. I would hope that, you know, as a Broncos fan for the majority of the season, you guys were in the playoff picture. So you'd be focused, you know, on the Broncos itself. But, you know, I'll, I'll mention like, you know, I'm, I go to the University of Michigan. So obviously I'm rooting for my guys. You know, Aiden Hutchinson should be the number one overall pick, you know. David Ojabo. That's like one of my draft crushes, I would say, that I want to land on the Chargers. Uh, yeah, I think he'd be a perfect fit in any Fangio Staley scheme if he if he's able to find his way there. But apparently he's being touted as a top 10 pick right now, potentially because of his raw upside and all that. But yeah, I mean, I haven't kept up with the draft too much. Um, I know I know who some of the top guys are. And obviously I've looked ahead to free agency because uh, Chargers have the second most amount of cap. I'm pretty sure Broncos are in like the top five top six area yep uh right? they're ex- the broncos are expected to have i want to say 48 million dollars next year according to over the cap yeah um and and as yeah. far as the goes though uh he's actually the first player i studied i uh, put five games in on <laughs> nice. oh man yeah. i i love i like his game a lot uh and again i, I mentioned this last week but i don't want to say vaughn just because like no one's vaughn miller but like you see, you see the hints in his game of that kind of player, of uh, the bend, mm-hmm. the the speed moves. Like, I am very excited. If the Broncos lose out and he is the top guy, I hope they go him over a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, no, Ojawa was really fun to watch, and he kind of helped take some of the pressure off Hutchinson later in the season when Ojabo came on stronger. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what the free agency holds. Like the Broncos have done a good job of paying their guys patrick sudden all got paid curious what that does for judy or hamler you know being the young guys if they're the trade options for a guy like rogers or russell wilson um and we obviously have some big decisions to make on our own you know mike williams being the the headliner for the chargers derwin james extension on the table there is a lot of decisions to be made but with justin herbert's contract we do have you know the second most amount of cap Dolphins are number one because of Tua and all that. But yeah, I, I've, I've really been focusing on this season. And, you know, I, I thought I didn't think we were locked to make the playoffs because the Chargers somehow always find a way to make everything, whether it's a draft decision or or a free agent signing or a, a team record or a win. Everything comes down to the last minute if they're if they're expected to be on top, if that makes sense or like yeah. if they are on top. So. I'll say this, like, since we're wrapping up here, like, even if the Chargers go up early, say they go up 15 or 20, like, the Chargers will find some way to make this a one-score game. So I wouldn't, like, stress about it too much. The problem is when the Chargers go down early or something, they've just, they've never been able to make it a one-score game, which is why they have, like, double-digit losses versus the Ravens versus you guys. Like, they just can't, when they struggle early, the there's no in-game adjustments and all that. So uh, I do think it's going to come it's going to be a close game anyway, but. Uh, regardless of how it plays out early or early in the game. Do you have a prediction for the game? Yeah. Like, so I'm actually, I'm going to the game, um, like with my friends before I head back to college. So I'm obviously, I'm hoping for the chargers, a chargers win, but like, I honestly, like, I, I feel like the Broncos somehow find a way to pull this off. Fangio is kind of coaching for his life right now. Staley, obviously like there's super high expectations in LA for them to make the playoffs given how they've played all year. But I, I, I honestly think Broncos find a way to win this. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll go with like a Broncos like twenty three to seventeen type victory here. And I, it pains me to say that, trust me. But just seeing how the Chargers have played all year and Herbert's struggles versus Fangio historically is just 
it's just shaping up to be a Chargers loss right here. I would say before before I realized how many players in the secondary were on like out or potentially out, uh, I was feeling like the Chargers were probably going to roll. I think at this point, knowing that, I would say it's probably like a toss up. Um, yeah. For for my own sanity, I'm going to pick the Broncos just because I don't want to spend the next four days thinking that the Chargers are going to win and be you know all hope is nigh. Uh, but I do think it's going to come down to one or two big plays that ends up deciding this one. Yeah, it's it's pretty much for that whichever if if the Chargers don't let Drew Lock go crazy, and if Herbert doesn't mess up or if he if the offensive line holds up, I think I think it'll be good. But I think there's just too many questions in the secondary in the right side of the offensive line to where the Chargers have just I've just been too way too, way too inconsistent for me to back them in this game where they've just not been able to do well against the Broncos. Well, no offense, but that's what I'm rooting for. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah no it's all good but no thank you so much for coming on and again guys if you do not follow arjun on twitter go do it he is at arjun menon 100 uh you can read his work over at pff and he is also has a podcast guilty as charged go check that out as well yeah thanks for having me on joe super fun to talk with you here